Hi, I'm Kelly Cervantes, and this is Seizing Life, a bi-weekly podcast produced by Cure Epilepsy. Today on Seizing Life, I'm happy to welcome Kiara Mowat to the podcast. Kiara has lived with epilepsy since the ninth grade. She is now a first-year student at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. In honor of Epilepsy Awareness Month in Canada, Kiara is here to tell us about her journey with epilepsy, the physical and emotional impact that it had on her during high school, and the challenges that epilepsy is presenting during her first year at university. Kiara, thank you so much for joining us today. To start, I want to talk about uh, when you experienced the circumstances around your first seizure and, you know, when you were uh, initiated into this crappy epilepsy club. I had my first seizure um, when I was coming back from musical rehearsal. Um, I was in grade nine and um, I was in Beauty and the Beast. And um, I remember coming back home and I have a brother and a sister. And that night, for some reason, um, the three of us, we were like, oh, let's have a sleepover in our mom's room. And so the three of us, we slept with my mom that night. And um, really early that morning, um, I don't know what time, it must have been like two, three in the morning, um, I had my first grand mal seizure. And thank God that my siblings and my mom were with me because I honestly don't know what would have happened if I were all alone. And I remember just going in and out of consciousness and the police were around me and there were firefighters in the house and I was totally unaware of what was happening. And I thought that something had happened to my mom or my brother and my sister. And I didn't even know that something had happened to me. And it was just like my world had completely shifted. They take you to the hospital. And what did the doctors tell you at the hospital? Um. So initially they thought that I had overdosed because you have like a 14 year old. Um, coming back from like a high school play and they were they kept asking me you know like what did you take and you know like what drugs did you do and like were you actually a musical rehearsal I remember being asked that in the ambulance like where were you and I kept telling them I didn't do anything I I was really at musical rehearsal and it felt like no one truly believed me in that moment and in the hospital um I was just completely, my body was just so exhausted from the seizure that I was just in the bed and they were just doing blood tests and um, I did a CT scan and it was just, and my mom was just terrified and it was just a, a large moment of of not knowing. Yeah, the, the fear and the unknown yeah, I think is is one of the worst aspects of those very first early moments or days on on a person's epilepsy journey. And so what was it like? When did you get the epilepsy diagnosis? Um, so I did my first 
EEG after I left the hospital. And then my first seizure happened in April of 2018. And then um, I don't remember when I did the EEG. Um, but then I received the results and in June of 2018. And I didn't have to have a second seizure for them to say that I had epilepsy. I just did the EEG and I remember going to the doctor's office um, of, of my family doctor. And I just remember sitting on, on, you know, like the little bed and stuff. And um, he said to me, you have juvenile myoclonic epilepsy. And I just broke down in tears. I didn't know what that meant for me. I didn't know what that meant for my future. And it's like, it's a moment of uncertainty because you don't know what's going to happen to you. What did the doctor tell you about juvenile myoclonic epilepsy? Nothing. He told me nothing. He's just like, um, I'll direct you to um, a neurologist and you can move forward from there. But at that moment, I wasn't educated. And so this was I, your pediatrician who was telling, was giving you yeah, this diagnosis. Yeah, this was my family doctor. Yeah. So, so you get a referral to go and see a neurologist. Did the neurologist give you more information? No. <laughs> so, um, there was very much a lack of education. Um, and I think now as I'm getting older, as I'm entering, as I entered university, as I'm becoming, um, a woman out into the world, I've decided to educate myself. And that's how I found Cure Epilepsy and um, Epilepsy Canada and just all these amazing organizations and that have educated me. And I've kind of said to myself, wow, like I have these doctors in my life, but why haven't they educated me? Why haven't they educated my parents? Why haven't they educated my family members? And it's just the people that are supposed to help me, that are supposed to support me. They haven't in the way that I've wanted to, in the way that I've needed to, and in the way that they should. It was just, okay, this is your medicine, and this is what we're going to do. This is your treatment. And I didn't know that um, there was brain surgery as a treatment. I didn't know that there was CBD treatment. I didn't know that people were doing acupuncture and all these different forms of of different ways to just treat seizures and epilepsy, especially for people who have drug resistant seizures, which are mine. You know, first of all, I want to say I'm so sorry that that has been your experience with your your epilepsy diagnosis and, and the lack of information that was provided to you and resources and that you had to go out and find it on your own. I, unfortunately, I think that that happens far more than it should. But I'm curious what was the treatment plan that was prescribed to you and how has that changed over the years? Um, it hasn't. Um, I've been on the same two medications since my diagnosis, um, since 2018 and it's now 2022, um, which is insane, honestly. Have you requested to try other medications since those two are clearly not working? Yeah. Um, but it's just, oh, we'll just shift the dosage. We just need to find the right dosage for you. It's just trial and error. And it's just been 
it's been trial and error, trial and error for almost four years now. It gets to a point where you feel like the medical system has failed you and everyone involved. And I feel like people with epilepsy and caregivers of those with two epilepsy, yes, we should be educating yourself, but when you're first diagnosed, you should be given support. You should be given resources. And I feel as though that wasn't given to me. That wasn't given to my family. Now, I'm I'm curious because I'm, I'm not very familiar with the medical system in Canada. Now, are you able to go and request a second opinion from another doctor? Yeah. And so um, that's what's been happening um, now for me in the past two months, because I've had the same neurologist since I was 15 and I'm turning 19 soon. And so, you know, taking that, I feel like a lot of people who have such a huge diagnosis like epilepsy, if you've had a neurologist for such a long time, especially since the beginning of your diagnosis, it could be really scary to try to go find another neurologist who's been with you since the very beginning. I think that's, it's a really honest observation. What I will say is that, and I also, because I, I went through this with my daughter where at times I felt guilty going out and seeking another opinion. Like I wasn't trusting this other doctor that we had, but what I learned is that, um, excellent doctors respect and often um, especially with com- a complicated diagnosis like epilepsy, an excellent doctor appreciates you going out and getting a second opinion and adding to the ideas of the treatment care plan um, because the more minds involved in these sort of situations, the better. And perhaps you find a doctor that is more experienced or is more knowledgeable about your particular kind of epilepsy or the different treatments that are out there and that are available. Hi, this is Brandon from Cure Epilepsy. Did you know that 30% of those diagnosed with epilepsy do not respond to current medications? That is why for over 20 years, Cure Epilepsy has been dedicated to funding patient-focused research to find a cure for epilepsy. Learn more about our mission and our research by visiting cureepilepsy.org. Now back to Seizing Life. While you've been speaking, I just, I can't help but in the back of my head, be thinking about the fact that all of this is happening to you when you're in ninth grade. You're still a child. You are, you know, your body is changing, your mind, your hormones, your emotions, responsibility. All of these things are, you're just starting to come into yourself and you receive this diagnosis at such a tumultuous point in your life. How did that affect you personally, socially, at school? I didn't let myself feel the emotions or deal with the emotional aspects of being diagnosed with epilepsy. I didn't realize that having such a large diagnosis like that, it does it does become a part of you, you know? And and I didn't I didn't deal with that at all. So I just, I pushed it away and as if I was almost embarrassed of it and I was ashamed of it. And slowly and slowly, like throughout high school, it would affect my mental health. And I would just 
not really talk about it. And I knew that it was affecting my mom. And she would just say to me, like, why aren't you dealing with it? Why aren't you talking about it? It's, it's odd that you, like, aren't. And I was like, I don't know. And I guess I was just so distracted with everything that was going on. And I was just so, I guess, embarrassed or ashamed of it. Now, did you share with your friends that you had epilepsy? Did any of them ever see you have a seizure? Um, Yeah, my closest ones, they, they did know. They didn't see me have seizures, um, but they did know of it. But I would never share with like people that I've had epilepsy. But now that I've reached university, I'm no longer embarrassed of it. Like people know now. And I always share on my Instagram awareness of epilepsy. And I never used to do that before. I think that, you know, what you're talking about is acceptance, acceptance of this diagnosis and that it's a part of your life. And so I, it just, it makes a lot of sense that you would feel stronger and healthier um, once you owned and accepted this diagnosis and moved forward in your life with it. Were you able to request accommodations in school did it did seizures affect your schoolwork yeah they really did it's interesting because you know you take medication to help your seizures but it's like your medication also in turn it affects you in another way as well so my medication it makes me extremely lethargic um i get awful headaches um it just, my mood is just constantly down all the time because of my medications. And my memory now is just awful with every single seizure that I have. And so um, I was, I did receive accommodations throughout high school and now in university. Um, thank goodness. And I'm extremely grateful for that. Now, I know that you're that your mother was strongly encouraging you to join a support group. Can you sort of talk to me about your your journey to joining the support group and your resistance to it and, and how it eventually helped you? So what actually happened was um, my I had a really great teacher um, throughout high school. Um, her name was um, Miss D. G. Marino, and she her sister actually has epilepsy. And she's a lawyer. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I've, I I, want to go into law. And I have epilepsy. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. And um, she told me that she, she told me that there's an epilepsy support group. And I told her, I was like, no, I really don't want to do that. I don't think I'm ready. And And then she told my mom about this support group. I was like, oh, great. Like I thought I was a great intervention. And then my mom said, look, I really want you to do this support group. And I was like, no, it's, I really don't want to sit in like a circle with all these people with epilepsy and like hold, I thought we were going to like hold hands and like sing Kumbaya, sing Kumbaya. Exactly, sing Kumbaya or something, <laughs> like a mantra. Like I, I did not want to do it. And then my mom said to me, you know, if you do this, I will get stuff for you off your Amazon wish list. And I was like, okay, count me in. I'm 
I'm going to do this. She's like, you just have to do five sessions every Wednesday. And so I did it and I ended up going back and back again after the five sessions was up. And I ended up building connections with people who were in the support group. And I loved hearing their stories about their diagnosis with epilepsy and I was just able to connect with people who have epilepsy and I wasn't I was never able to do that ever because I've never the only person in my life who I know um, in person that has epilepsy is my grandmother and she has the same epilepsy as me oh wow um yeah however she doesn't experience seizures anymore because her medication worked off the bat um, so in some ways, we've been able to understand each other, but in other ways, no, because, you know, she doesn't experience seizures anymore. And so out of curiosity, does she take the same medication that you do? No, she doesn't. She doesn't. Yeah. Um, her medication affects fertility and I, I want to have children in the future. And so I think that's also struggle that women with epilepsy face um so it's either you know either control your seizures or can't have a family in the future the quality of life considerations can be pretty intense especially to be making them at so early in your life i do hope that the epileptologist that you meet with next has other ideas of other medications and things to try. And, um, you know, and there, there are certainly so many medications available that do not affect fertility or can be taken up until the time that you are looking to have a child. And then you can transition to another medication. There's just so many options and possibilities out there. I do, I do have so much hope that, that there's still a treatment out there that can work for you. Um, you know, as we talk about how early in this epilepsy journey that you are, although I'm sure it doesn't feel that way after, you know, battling seizures for four years, but you are already making a difference and growing into your advocacy through awareness. And I want you to tell us about that, the different ways that you have found to bring awareness to your community. I think that awareness, um, it just starts with basic conversations with your your friends and your family. If you don't know where to start with awareness, I think that's just one one basic way that you can begin bringing awareness for the community, especially with epilepsy because so many people don't know about it. And it starts with just educating your family and your friends and the community around you and then using your social media as a platform. Social media nowadays is such an amazing tool to reach more people around you. Also just events like Purple Day and um, and just Epilepsy Awareness Month, like in Canada, March. And now you, you started a Purple Day at your school or the celebration of Purple Day. Yeah, you know, what's so interesting is that when I was diagnosed and I told the people in my, I told my friend group, um, I went to a really tiny all-girls school. There are 47 people in my graduating class. Um, so everybody kind of knew, but no one really talked about it. Um, they, I never realized how supportive 
they were of me until Purple Day in grade 12. Um, when I decided to host it in March, I was like, okay, guys, I'm doing this. And everyone was like, yes, like we're there. And everybody wore purple. It was like a sea of purple within the school. And it was just so much support and people were coming up to me and they wanted to talk about it. They wanted to talk about my experiences. They they wanted to know and they wanted to be more educated. And I think that I was so blinded um, when I was first diagnosed. I was so blinded by um, my shame and my embarrassment that I never realized how much support was I was surrounded by. You know, you're in um, in college now, which is awesome, and living away from home. How has that transition been, um, moving away from your mom, who has sort of overseen a lot of your medical care up to this point, and being in, in college and having to get new accommodations, and what has that transition been like for you? Honestly, it's been so difficult living without my mom. And especially actually my brother, he's three years younger than me. Um, he is in grade 10 now. And my brother has been with me um, when I was living at home. He's been there for every single seizure. You get emotionally attached to the people who are always there for you during your seizures. And moving out, I got so terrified because my brother he has always been there for me during my seizures. And I remember having my first seizure outside of home. I was I was looking for my brother's face and I, I couldn't, I was like, where are you? Like, I was like, I'm looking at, I was looking at my roommate's faces and I was like, none of you are my brother. <laughs> and um, it's interesting because, you know, the people who support you during your seizures and who are around you, they they're through, they're with you through this journey. The family is is amazing, and epilepsy, epilepsy siblings are are something else. I certainly saw it with my own son. Now, were your roommates uh, they accepting and understanding, and you educated them on your seizure plan and and all of that? Yeah. So um, I live with nine other girls and one cat. <laughs> so um, there's all of us, and so. Um, they've been extremely accepting of me. And when I was coming into the house, like when I signed my lease and everything, because I don't live in residence, um, they I was so terrified, you know? It, it's scary because when you live, when you're living with new people, you don't want to feel like a burden to them. And I realized that I'm, I'm, I'm never an inconvenience to people. And People with epilepsy, you, you should never feel like a burden because honestly and truly you're not. You can't control your seizures and you can't control your diagnosis. And, you know, no matter what, the people who surround you and and who live with you, they will constantly support you and accept you. And if they don't, then you shouldn't even have them in your lives, you know, like... Um, and no matter what, you will find someone who who will accept you completely and wholly as you are. It's beautiful, beautiful advice. And I think probably something that a lot of people need to hear. So how was the transition academically? You were able to get accommodations in high school. Was the university as 
willing to work with you on accommodations? Yes. Yeah, so um, finding the um, accommodations, it wasn't um, hard, like finding my um, disability coordinator. Um, that was pretty straightforward. But I remember my disability coordinator, um, her telling me, she was like, you know, you're my first student with epilepsy. And I, I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. That's surprising to me. Yeah, that, that was surprising to me too. Um, considering, I don't think that um, epilepsy necessarily, it's something that's like so rare because I've met a few people. One in 26 is not rare at all. Yeah, exactly. And so in my head, I was thinking, you work with a lot of students. Um, that's kind of, it's kind of surprising. And, um, and she said, so we can navigate this together. And I was like, okay, you know, that, that kind of, that kind of made me nervous a little. Um, and so, so far, um, how do I put this? <laughs> um, I don't think that the accommodations that have been set out for me, um, have fulfilled my needs in the way that I, I need them to professors and TAs, they don't know, like they don't know the severity of it and everything that encompasses epilepsy. And so because they don't know, they don't know um, how to help students. And they don't know that if I, I don't think that they take it seriously when I tell them I, I can't come for this tutorial because of this migraine. They just think probably like, oh, it's a headache or, oh, she's probably just skipping or something like that. It is disappointing, but, you know, you kind of have to learn how to navigate the world um, um, when it when things like that happen. Well, I do hope that that piece of it gets better for you. You've experienced so much and you've grown so much. What advice do you give to other teenagers uh, who are newly diagnosed or navigating an epilepsy diagnosis in high school and making that transition to college, what advice do you give them? I think that's a really hard thing because everybody is so different. My biggest advice is, I think, to lean on the people around you because you definitely cannot do it alone. Um, it's, it's really hard. It's a really hard thing, even if you're medications are controlling your seizures and especially if your medications or your treatments aren't controlling your seizures and having support having the a community around you is so important and it is so vital because you you definitely cannot do it alone and that's something that i honestly i learned it the hard way because all the emotions everything that I should have dealt with when I was first diagnosed, I'm dealing with it now. And everybody's journey is different, right? Nobody's epilepsy is the same. Nobody's journey is the same. It's, it's obviously going to be um, very different and specific to the person. Even if you feel ashamed or embarrassed, it's, it definitely isn't something to be ashamed or embarrassed about. It's just a part that you need to accept in your journey. And then once you do, um, you can learn from other people and you can share that with other people. Kiara, you are wise beyond your years. And I so appreciate you sharing 
your journey and your experiences with us. It is a brave thing to do. You have to have courage to be able to do that. And I am just so appreciative to you for doing that because you will help kids who are walking a similar path to you to know that it's going to be okay. And, and, you know, you, you've done it, you've survived here you are. And, um, so thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kiara, for sharing your experiences growing up with epilepsy and for your insights into the challenges of living with epilepsy as a college student. As we noted during our conversation, Kiara is one of the 30% of people with epilepsy who unfortunately do not gain seizure control through current medications. This is why Cure Epilepsy is dedicated to funding patient-focused research to find a cure for epilepsy. You can help us in our mission by visiting cureepilepsy.org forward slash donate. Through research, there is hope. Thank you. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Cure Epilepsy. The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. Cure Epilepsy strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical conditions be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.